Hello, hello, hello. It is day 31 of the 7 a.m. 50 day writing challenge for draft edition. I love seeing the chat fill up with good morning, good morning, good morning from everywhere. Um, I am Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we continue talking um, about scenes and we've got author Henriette Lazaridis helping us think about a scene's turning point and the most important moment. And so Henriette, her second novel, uh, Terra Nova, comes out from Pegasus Books on December 6th. So if you're in town, um, she's holding her launch at Harvard Bookstore on December 6th. And I highly recommend it. I'm really excited for this novel. Her debut novel, The Clover House, was a Boston Globe bestseller and Target Emerging Authors pick. Um, having taught English at Harvard, she now teaches at Grub Street in Boston. She was the founding editor of the Drum Literary Magazine and runs the Kruna writing workshop in Northern Greece. She writes the Substack newsletter, The Entropy Hotel about athletic and creative challenges. So a lot of you guys are, are, are listening and looking in on Substack. So I would check out her newsletter, The Entropy Hotel. Okay, Henriette, I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's talk about the shape of scenes and in particular, the turning point and most important moment, which also helps a pacing of scenes. Um, so yes. how do you approach it? Yeah. So I always, I always like to think that a scene should be an argument. That's how I always came into it, sort of thinking that there should be, that, that it should be an argument between, essentially, you know, between two characters for sure. Um, and then thinking about that, let me back up a second. Yeah, two characters, when you have a two character scene, it's a conversation, it's easy to think you have to have these people arguing. They want different things. You have to have conflict, you have to have opposition. I like, Better than that, I like the idea of a negotiation that somebody that I can't remember who uh, pointed out as a sort of nice tweak to that concept, because with a negotiation, it's not just the sort of almost can be kind of a static situation of two people butting heads, um, but there's that give and take. So that I was, like that that's Sandra sense. Schofield as well. That and was, that is Sandra Schofield. Yeah. Who Which we'll have on tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, and, and I often use examples from Sandra Schofield's book to talk about the scene. Um, and so I think about how you have to have a negotiation, which is easy to do when you have two characters or more in a scene where they're actually speaking to each other or acting physically in relation to each other. It's a little harder to think about how you're going to do that in a scene where, say, it's one person alone doing something, not just sitting and waking up and thinking, but actually doing something, um, or uh, a scene that involves a lot of exposition and a lot of setting. But I think there's always going to be a way to find, you know, if it's a person doing some sort of physical struggle, well, the environment is in negotiation with that person. But in a scene where you have people talking to each other and having this argument slash negotiation, I think about actual arguments that I have had. <laughs> <laughs> Mediterranean, I have had many. Um, and yeah. there's always a rhythm to an argument, right? People start out and it's like, bap, 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 bap. they're going back and forth. And then somebody says something that just kind of slows the rhythm down and people are shocked and they realize what has been said or what has been done. And so I think that's a really natural rhythm and it's perfect for scenes because you have the rising fast action and then the turning point the sort of moment that breaks open and now the rhythm has changed so that's a way to think of it whatever you're doing in a scene 
the rhythm should change. You can go fast, 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 now slow, or it could be like slow, 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 and then something comes up that's like fast and loud. And I don't mean literally that you have to have things exploding, Yeah, but that there's an explosive discovery or emotion or some kind of moment like that. I yes, yes, exactly. It does feel explosive because, well, so if anyone knows me, they know that I'm a horror, real horror fan, a horror fan who hates all horror because most of it is done terribly. Um, and so I was watching, I can't remember what it's, it's that zombie show that ran for way too many years. But when I used to watch it early on and I realized that scene after scene after scene, I would gasp about something because something would have happened or someone would have said something and I'd be like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, they said that, or oh, they did that. And so that tends to be that tends to be the turning point because something is said or done, and it can actually be very quiet. It doesn't have to be, you know, right. from a zombie series. Um, right. It can be actually very quiet, in which we're like, oh no, she didn't. <laughs> exactly. Um, that changes everything. And that what is said and what is done can't be taken back. It alters the situation, it alters the characters' understanding of each other, it alters the relationship. Right. Right. I, I like to think of, and I always, I actually write this down sometimes. I'll, I'll, when I'm trying to figure out where my novel needs to go, I'll write it down as a series of either, oh shit, or oh honey, no. Like, because you want to yes. be watching the character and being like, oh honey, no, oh no, oh no. And then the gasp. But yes. that sort of mounting, like, don't, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't do that. <gasps> oh, and of course they do. <laughs> they did. I love that. I love, I love, you actually write it on your manuscript. Oh, honey, no. Uh, I have done that. Yes. And in my, no, in my notes, in, in my notes, notes yeah. I'll be like, oh, honey, no. <laughs> but really more often it's like, I set myself the task of every scene or beat should start with, oh shit. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> um, I love it. Because if you don't have that in there, then everything's fine and everything is boring and not yeah. going anywhere. So, and you're not, and so some people might be like, well, I have higher ideas that I'm working towards, or I'm trying to get a different effect. And I'm like, you're probably also trying to get an emotional effect from your readers, and you're not going to be able to get that emotional effect from your readers. And I'm not talking about easy, like tear, tear jerk stuff. I'm talking about any sort of real emotional effect from your readers, unless you're willing to go to that, that oh shit moment, really right. putting that pressure on your characters. Um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of, it, that's, we read in order to engage with other consciousnesses. And if we're not having that sort of level of even ambient concern, then yeah. we're not engaging with the story. And I would argue perhaps the story is failing if it's not engaging us in that way. Yes. I, there's, yeah. Um, and then, um, so of course though, whatever the person says or does, needs to be a part of their intentions for the whole scene. And this is why we talked about intention yesterday. You need to know all of your characters' intentions in the scene, even if they, they don't know themselves. But right. as a writer, you need to know what is my character's intention? Do they, do, do, do they want an apple? Uh, do they want to kill someone? Do they want to drive away? Do they want to take a nap? Whatever the intention is can be anything, but you need to know what those intentions are. And so that because that and follow those intentions to the scene until you hit that turning point, because they're going to give you the turning point, those intentions. Um, that person's not going to speak the oh, honey, no moment unless exactly. it's part of their intention. Right. Because you're going to have two people coming in. Or let's say it's, you know, two people coming into the scene, each of them with this 
I think of it as as motive, like an actor. And you used the example, I think, yesterday in talking with Crystal of the the actor being given the 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 intention. And I always thought of it as the actor who's saying, like, you know, director, you know, what's my motive? And yes. I and I always think of that exactly that you come in the characters come into the scene with their own believed motive, which may be completely different from their um, real core motive, but it's what yeah. they think they're operating under. Yes. And at some point that motive, it's pushing against the other motive in some way. And then there's that, that sort of snap um, where they may realize that they're not going to get anywhere, or they may realize that they have gotten somewhere that they didn't think they were going to go. Mm -hmm. um, but that sort of, there's a pressure. I, I always think of novels as like machines and I use metaphors that I'm sure all don't really work and also are mixed metaphors all the time. But if you think about you, characters come into a scene, they're building pressure against yeah. each other. And then at some point there has to be that release. And that too, that serves as the turning point. Right, exactly. I do that too. I'm, I actually workshopped a novel last night and we were talking about what's the engine of this novel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can talk about that in terms of scene as well. So you also, let's see. So oftentimes I find that if the turning point is, is quieter or more subtle, the reader might need um, a little bit more time to absorb it or realize its importance. And that's oftentimes when you actually need to slow the scene down or give them more, more breath to the scene at that moment. And when we talk about pacing of scenes, um, let's, say, let's say your scene is, I don't know, one page long. And you know that the actual story time that the scene actually takes place over an hour. Well, you don't give every minute of that hour, the same amount of words on the page, the same amount of territory on the page. You might give, you might spend a sentence covering 50 minutes and the whole rest of the page covering the remaining 10. And that's about the pacing and, and what's, the most, what's the most important. And so for you, how do you pace it out? Because you are also talking about fast, slow, fast, slow, or does it, and how do you determine that around the, the turning point for you? Before I answer that, can yes. I give you a really, because I was, I was like delighted and a little bit thinking about something else. Awesome. Because what you said about the slow, quiet thing, he, he, and maybe this is something that I do, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but there's an amazing scene in Tom Drury's The End of Vandalism. Mm. And this is, I'm, bear with me. Yeah. Um, Louise, who is one of the main characters, goes to visit her mother. And she just, and her mother lives in the same town. She, she walks over to her mother's house. There's, there's a bit of a description of, you know, what's in the yard. There's an orange bucket in the yard. Louise walks by it. She goes in, she talks to her mother. It's a, it's a kind of an important conversation, but it also involves things like you're killing those plants. You need to water them more. Like it's this sort of laconic, like that whole novel. It's somewhat laconic. It's quiet, mm -hmm. but they're having a conversation about their relationship and about Louise. She leaves, or no, I think she's standing in in the house and she looks out at the window and she says, is that your bucket? And her mother's like, yeah, no, I don't know whose bucket it is. Oh. And see, and it's like this weird thing where the bucket has zero function in huh. the story arc. It changes nothing. It does nothing, but it does something. 
it's there for a reason. I, I think it's there for a reason. It's not just window dressing. And it's that kind of thing. So this is a way of answering your question. Mm-hmm. And I think when you want to do something quiet to change the rhythm of the scene and make people sort of stop and pay attention, you can do it with something like that that's just off. It just right. is off. And it makes you look at it. I, I read the end of vandalism probably once a year and I never stop marveling at that bucket because it's so strange and i don't think you're supposed to just skim past it because it is talked about um but it has that function of just like calling attention to something about the moment about those two women are interacting with each other um interesting so that's, I love so that's that. the kind of anti-explosive way of doing yes. it it's like the slow leak in the tire that you didn't even realize was happening, but like in for using the metaphor of releasing pressure, it's like, this has been hap- this something quiet, little Yeah. Hiss. And so, and I, so I, stupidly, I haven't read this novel. What so it good. makes me think of is what I, it makes me want to go right to it. Of course I, I've heard of it, but um, it makes me think that either um, there's, there's an invasion quality, like that something, something has come into their property or their world um, that does not belong and it's someone else's. So it feels like it's either an invasion or it's a an assumption of territory between the two women. Oh yeah, maybe. Or an acceptance. That's kind of, I think oh, in that novel, okay. it might also go that way that it's sort of like, you know, oh, I think it's Carl's bucket. Oh, okay, fine. I don't know. I have to look at it like for the yeah. time, but it's, it's a really interesting moment. And it's, it's yeah. kind of strange. Like it sort of says, hello, I'm here. Um, so maybe you should look around again. Yeah. Um, and it's the novel is The End of Vandalism End of by Tom Drury. Apparently, I think almost all of it appeared as short stories in The New Yorker. So it's a little bit, you can feel that fantastic. it's collected. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. But um, yeah. And I think for my own work, you know, to go back to your original question that I deftly sidestepped. Which is um, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I was thinking about this this morning. I was thinking, so do my scenes all have negotiation, which I always trumpet to my yeah. students and just trumpeted now 10 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And and I was saying to you before we started that I discovered much to my delight that in the two narrative threads of Terra Nova, the first scene in the men's narrative thread is in fact an explicit negotiation um, between two men who are being sent back because they're running out of supplies in Antarctica and the other two who they're trying to decide, you know, do we, can't we stay? No, you need to go back. And then in the, in Viola's narrative, I think the second scene, she's actually negotiating with the, her servants who are really her companions about whether she should continue to go to the suffrage marches that she's going and photographing in 1910. So it's, and it's a negotiation of like, you're not supposed to go. Yes, I want to go. And so it's easy to, to see that, okay, I did it in those two scenes, but where, how do you do it? Am I doing it in every scene? If you have a person who's like pulling a sledge across Antarctica, what is he negotiating with the environment? Okay. Yeah. Um, I think all of which is to say that, uh, it's a good thing to have in mind, and you should always be striving for that kind of rhythm and tension. Um, hopefully, every scene actually 
does it, but maybe maybe not. I don't well, know. yeah, and but if, and you can off uh, you can have static scenes or scenes that aren't as dramatic or dynamic in your book, but you better not have that many of them, and you certainly right. probably don't want them at the beginning, um, right. Right. right? So so, and I have students saying, well, how many static scenes can I have? And I'm like read the books that you love. How many static scenes do they have? Um, you know, because right. you can really um, kill a book by waxing poetic about something and not allowing something to rise and fall. Right. And there um, too, yeah. I mean, in a, in a more macro way, I think there has to be that rhythm of, as I was saying, in a scene, there's like quick, 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 slow. Yeah. You know, you can, you can buy your slow if you have enough quick. <laughs> sort of buys you that time. Right. And so, and your examples reminded me of that oftentimes the turning point, and sometimes we don't like to think about this, but oftentimes that idea of negotiation or turning point has to do with power. Yeah. Um, so if you have the two men talking about, okay, who's going to go back and do this thing, that's, uh, there's going to be a lot of power dynamics involved mm -hmm. in that mm -hmm. decision mm -hmm. and who can tell the other person something or, mm -hmm. or who feels duty bound to do something or who is trying to impress somebody else mm -hmm. in order to do something. It also sounds like the second scene too, because she's talking with her servants, but her servants are not really her servants. It sounds like they're also her friends. Um, yeah. Like one guy has been, cause the husband is in Antarctica and so, and the husband has said, I don't want you going to the suffrage marches. And so this guy, Samuel Minor, he's like, you know, Mr. Haywood said you can't go. She's like, I'm going to go. Right. It's going to be okay. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a servant that's telling her what she's supposed to do or not. And right. so there's, there, you're, you're challenging power dynamics there, which is really interesting. And so oftentimes <clears throat> in a good turning point, the power dynamic will have switched from the beginning of the scene to the end. Um, and so that's one thing to play with, like who has the power at the beginning of the scene and who has the power at the end. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not talking about like someone else is in chains or somebody, you know, we're not talking about like severe power. We're talking about very subtle di power dynamics. Mm -hmm. um, and I think about, so the great Lynn Barrett who teaches down in, in Florida, um, and she oftentimes will teach at the Grubb uh, Museum Marketplace. And I always recommend any session she teaches. She talks about Hansel and Gretel in terms of power dynamic. And at the beginning, and I always, I've been referring to Hansel and Gretel a lot on this program. Um, yeah, you have, yeah. Um, at the beginning of that tale, and you can also track power dynamics through a whole story um, with subtle shifts of power as it goes through. At the beginning of that tale, the stepmother has the most power. And then the father has probably power under that, though he's a, kind of a non-entity, but he has more power than the children. And then you've got Hansel and then you've got Greta. But as the story continues, by the end of the story, the stepmother is dead. Mm. The father, the, the kids actually in the traditional story, the kids actually are bringing a lot of money to the father. So they basically save the farm. So they've actually um, pushed him aside in terms of who has power on the farm and who is actually operating the farm and saving the farm. And it's Gretel, Greta who figures out everything. It's Greta who figures out how to push the witch into the oven. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Greta who, there's a weird scene at the end that no one remembers from this tale about a duck and a big lake that shows up and it's Greta that <laughs> figures out how to get across. If you look at the traditional the tale, it's there, there's a duck. Um, so it's like the bucket. I, <laughs> it is, it's like, why is there a duck there? Um, exactly. Um, 
But by the end, it's Greta who has the most power in the story. And so, and, and, and it happens through increments and it happens through various scenes and each scene has a turn and each, in each scene you have this play of power dynamic and, and they change the power, the power of the scene changes from beginning to end. And so that's another thing to think about like, well, how do I know I have a turning point? How do I know that I've succeeded in this? And so you can, might want to think about it in terms of power dynamics as well. And even the, the nature of the power, because yes. it's like that the power might start the scene looking one way and it gets sort of transformed into a different kind of power through the course of the scene. Yes. And and then so we have in the chat someone who wants us to go back into this idea of the most important moment or the most important part of the scene and what that has to do with the turning point and what that might have to do with pacing. Do you have do you have an answer to that or thoughts on that? Well, I would think I mean the most. It, is it the turning point? Is that the most say, important I, moment? Well, well, I mean probably the turning point because the turning point is that moment when something cracks open. So that's going to be kind of that's your payoff in the scene. Like that's that's the new information that just came into the story via the turning point and now okay there are so many mixed metaphors i'm gonna go down but like now like the real you have that in your backpack like you're taking that information and you're carrying it forward so it's gonna change what comes after these mixed metaphors i'm so sorry it's too early in the <laughs> go morning go for it go um, for it doesn't matter but yeah. i do think that's what happens it's like you know you're each scene should be sort of you know I don't know, I've never said this this way before, but I think like you're making information in each scene and like there's the new information that comes like it's like a volcanic thing now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting really carried away. <laughs> but like, you know, and sort of there's that like eruption and here's the new stuff and then the new stuff gets carried into the next scene. Into the next scene, into the next scene. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. You're giving yourself material that hopefully you remain responsible for and yeah. and actually and, and move into the next scene and the next scene. Yeah. Oh, I like that formulation that you're responsible. You remain responsible for it. Yeah, Ooh, because really people good. will put something in a novel and well, I think we all do this. They put something in a novel and they forget about it. Um, yeah. And um, and it's like, well, wait, why did this happen? Um, and again, if the writer is being responsible for the material that they're putting in the novel, that they will continue to use that and 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 allow that to have an effect on on what remains. Um, though, of course, the bucket didn't have. Uh, right, the bucket doesn't appear to have any kind of responsibility, and probably you know somewhere Tom Drury is like, "What the hell? I just put a damn bucket in there. It means nothing." <laughs> and then we're just waxing on about the damn bucket, yeah. Right. And so I do think so. It, some some people in the chat are saying, "Is this true also for really short scenes?" And then someone else is saying, "Is this also true for flashbacks?" So so flashbacks, which is basically a, a scene of backstory in the past, and I would say yes. Yeah. Even for very short scenes and even for flashbacks, you do you're looking for that turning point again to make the, the scene dynamic. And yeah. tomorrow we'll talk about the connection between turning points and consequence with Sandra Schofield, which really truly makes the scene dynamic and means that the scene is earning this its place. Yeah. What I oftentimes find when I'm working with novelists is that they'll have a bunch of short scenes and they aren't doing quite the work that they could be. Um, and what might be better is to instead, and so what the writer is doing is kind of racing forward. Like, well, I need to have this scene. I need to have this scene. I need to have this scene. So we have a mm. bunch of short scenes 
they all might be doing a little work, but they're not doing as much as work as they can. And so I oftentimes say, okay, can we instead have all these many, 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 many short scenes that aren't doing a huge amount of work and instead have slow down and allow each scene to do a lot more work for you, allow each scene to hit upon several plot points, hit upon several alterations in character um, and just and just have more weight to it mm -hmm. instead of instead of having all these additional scenes that you feel like, well, I need to do this in order to get this done. Um, so think about if you're having a lot of short scenes, think about do I need all these short scenes or can I actually combine them in some way or use one scene instead, right. sink my teeth into that one scene to make it do all the work. I think it's a question of, well, there's like two different things. One would be to like look at all those little scenes and try to figure out what is sort of the core emotional agenda underneath them all and and then figure out which ones you don't need because they don't have a distinct emotional agenda and can be sort of schmooed together with the other ones. Yeah. Um, but also if someone's rushing, I mean, you, you see this a lot, right? People come in a room, they have an argument, it lasts two seconds and they're gone. And I always say like, keep the people in the room, yes. let the argument breathe, let it, let it fester uh, again, yes. mixed metaphors, but, um, but let it, have time to really grow because that's when you'll have that moment of oh yeah oh no yeah it'll come from letting the people argue or negotiate to the point where the pressure really builds and then releases and, and again in a, it could be a quiet thing or a loud thing but but you have to sort of don't let your characters off the hook too quickly. They have more to say to each other. They have more to withhold from each other mm -hmm. um, because it's so important about, and this can drive a scene, right? What isn't said uh, yes. can really fuel the escalation of emotions in a scene. Yes. And that, I think that happens. So um, again, I, I, I born and bred in Iowa and I always just thought that, I tend to come from people that don't like to talk about anything serious, certainly don't want to engage in conflict. Are you kidding? Mm -hmm. And any sort of deep emotion, it's like, yeah, go over there if you're going to have emotion about anything. You know, we're just trying to get work done and we, we can't handle that. Um, and so it's conflict avoidance when a writer is doing that, because they might even be getting uncomfortable um, in staying in one place. Um, and actually in my classes, I, I, I thought it was just my own problem, but in my classes, I started to ask, okay, how many of you guys are conflict avoiders? And all the hands went up, <laughs> um, except maybe one, like there's always some like cool person who was really like, you know, awesome about conflict. Um, but most people tend to be conflict avoiders. So you really want to be careful of that. That's probably why you're hurrying them out of the room, yeah. um, because you're afraid of too much happening, right. um, or like, being too loud. You know how we all know from weather how you know we have the tornadoes that just go and then the ones that are so devastating that stay in one place and don't move on and they grind and grind and grind and grind and cause tremendous devastation you kind of want your scene to be that kind of tornado not yes. the twister that moves across three states really fast yes yes don't let it go yes um, and then I also I've, I've referenced um, the story of Adam and Eve in terms of, of most important moment. I think I referenced that a couple uh, sessions ago. So you can look at that um, again. But if you actually look at the way that's written in various Bible versions, mm -hmm. um, you will see 
that Eve's sin is written out fuller in the scene. We actually get like a dialogue scene between her and the snake. Whereas when she gives the, the apple to Adam, it's highly summarized. Yeah. Um, and so of course, what we remember is Eve's sin and that has had detrimental effects on our entire civilization. Um, but so it's always thinking about, so notice also what I just did. Anytime you make a pause, when you're talking or anytime you slow a scene, you wake up. Yeah, the reader wakes up, the reader pays attention. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what you're also doing in the scene by slowing that moment down is you're making the reader pay attention. Uh, and that's oftentimes what they're going to pay, uh, carry away from the scene. So when you're thinking about most important moment, um, pacing in that is really important. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then Henry, I was gonna go one more question with you though, we have to go quickly. You also do this sorts of thing a lot, which I love, and I love working with landscape myself. In terms of landscape, how do you hit that turning point or that that moment or anything with with when the conflict is with landscape? I mean, you can't really negotiate with with a hill, or can you? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think you have to. It's like if you're if you're writing, and I had this challenge of like when I was writing Terra Nova. Yeah. My my he wasn't. We weren't married yet, but he'd he'd come over and he'd be like, "How are the boys doing?" And I'd say, "They just traveled more. They got colder. <laughs> they got colder." And I had this feeling of like nothing is happening. They're just getting cold. And so, so for me, that was the challenge. I have people who are just going not even up a hill. Well, there are they were, but I think you have to shape that scene if you have a character in nature you have to shape that scene so that there is there 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 has to be like that moment of now there's a greater difficulty or yeah now there's a solution i think in in writing one character dealing with a physical environment whether it's a a ladder they're trying to put up on the side of their house or a mountain they're trying to climb you have to create the pacing there too so you're not going to narrate the entire climb up the mountain you're not going to narrate getting the ladder out of the garage and the whole thing of setting it up against the house you're going to pick your moments and you're going to pick the moment of maybe deepest detail or greatest frustration or success yeah, but you yeah. have to impose a rhythm on it, I think, in order for the narrative to move. Yes, perfect. I love it. Um, okay, I, we could talk forever. I love having Henriette on. Look for her novel, Terra Nova, comes out December 6th. Um, thank you, thank you so much. Tomorrow yeah. we continue with Scene Week with the wonderful Sandra Schofield, who has um, a book uh, called The Scene Book, um, which is the only real good book about scenes that I've ever read, really. Yeah. Um, if you support what we're doing, please share, follow, and rate our 7 a.m. Novelist podcast. You can find it on Substack or other podcast platforms. You can also find our full schedule at 7amnovelist.substack.com. And everyone, I hope you have a fabulous writing today. I hope you get to your desk and are full of lots of ideas and a lot of inspiration. And you too, Henriette, I hope you're able to get to your work after maybe go boating and uh, <laughs> get some fabulous work done in your, on your next book. Right. Excellent. All right. Have a good day, everyone. Thank Bye, everybody. How you sift for a love in the sand Like a leaf inside the wind And you go where it tells you to go But you never wonder why There isn't nothing here at all